0: welcome to beyond sport with fiona stewart if you've been listening for a while welcome back if you're new to the show i'm your host fiona my passion for sport really started when i was a competitive swimmer this led me to study sport development at university whilst also working within the sporting industry i'm a huge believer in sport being used as a tool for good each week i'll bring you an episode with someone involved in the sporting world It could be your local high school teacher or your childhood or current sporting hero. The difference is that it's not your typical type of questions. We talk about the highs and lows in their journey through sport, but also what they've learned from it and how it's made them who they are today. There's also a strong focus on how being involved in sport can impact the community. If you haven't already, make sure you hit follow wherever you're listening so you don't miss the drop of each new episode. If you're after some Bonus content, then you can check out our Instagram or Facebook page at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. A few weeks ago, I had the absolute pleasure of chatting to Winter Olympian Bree Walker. Now, Brie started on the track as a junior, but she was determined to represent her country and made the switch over to Bobsleigh. In this episode, Brie takes us through her journey and what it's been like experiencing all the highs and lows that come along with being an elite athlete. She also takes us through some of the incredible lessons she's learned along the way. Coming from Australia, where winter sports are not always the most funded or accessible sports to participate in, it's been really interesting having the opportunity to chat with some of Australia's most recent winter Olympians. If you're a snow sport fan, make sure you also check out my chats with Sevi De Campo and Jessica Yeaton after you've listened to this episode with Brie. Let's get into it. So Brie, can you tell us about your sport and how you got into it?
1: So uh, I am the, the Australian bobsleigh pilot. So I, I compete in the two men and the new event in the last Olympics, the monobob event. Uh, which is a one-person event, which was really exciting um, uh, to be included for the last Olympic cycle. And, yeah, I, I started Bobsleigh back in 2016, and really it's just been such a rollercoaster of a ride. It's been so exciting. I've travelled the world. I've met so many great people and been able to compete for my country all in one. So it's been, uh, yeah, just a fantastic journey so far.
0: Yeah, and you're over in Europe at the moment, but I want to start back at the very, very start. You didn't always compete in a winter sport, so where did you start off?
1: Yeah, I, was, I actually started as a 400-metre uh, runner, 400-metre hurdler, um, uh-huh. and i have been competing in that at a senior level for, uh, yeah, quite a few years, quite successful. I uh, uh, competed at state and national level, won a few medals there. I actually even um, got a... Uh, full scholarship over to uh, America which uh, I was on a full track and field scholarship there which was a fantastic experience um, but actually I really got quite slow there I was quite injured and um, just simply because of the way that they train there it was it's more weights based, and I haven't done a lot of weights up until that point Um, And I knew my body type. I knew that I, you know, I look at weights and I put on weight. And I said to the coach there, I was like, look, if I, if you throw me in the gym, I'm going to get quite heavy and and probably quite slow. And he was like, no, no, not with our structure, not how we do it. Just trust us. I was like, okay, like I'll trust the process. I'm all about that. Anyways, then uh, a year, like fast forward a year. And yeah, it was exactly that. I got quite slow. I actually ran, my season opener was the slowest 400 I'd run since I was like 16. And I was like, okay, this is me done. Like it's time for me to go home. So I headed back home and I don't know, I just, I kind of lost the fire for track and field. I actually started training with a new coach, uh, Peter Fortune, and who was Kathy Freeman's old coach. And so I was like, And she's like huge, like role model for me, and so I was like so excited to be training with him. And he's like, "Look, we've got a lot of work to do to get back to where you were. Um, so we can we'll give it a go. Let's see what we go. But maybe, maybe like you would be better suited to something else. And you know, like at that stage, like um, AFL was coming through, even rugby was coming through a little bit. And my dad's a Queenslander, so he, I'm sure he would have loved me to go off and do." Uh, women's rugby and so but I was like I was hell bent on representing Australia in track and field I was like no no I love 400 hurdles I really want to go and do um, compete for Australia uh, in 400 meter hurdles so let's go with this and I'm like okay sure and so we we tried a little bit but I was watching the Rio Olympics and um, Kim Brennan actually won the uh, single skulls event um there and they were telling her story and they were telling her how she was a 400 meter hurdler and how she transitioned over to uh rowing at, like because she was injured mm-hmm. I was like oh, maybe maybe my talents lie elsewhere and so I simply just googled whether we had an Australian bobsleigh team and because bobsleigh was always something that I would thought I'd do um after my athletic career but I was like look I'm young I still have so much more to give, but I keep hitting these roadblocks with like injuries. And like I said, the fire had kind of just like burnt out a little bit. So um, I just signed up for the talent identification camp that they had going because they wanted to revamp the team for the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. And yeah, a month later, I went up to Sydney and I competed in the um, all the testing there. And they were like, yep you're a good fit. Would you like to go over to Whistler in a month um, and learn how to drive a bobsleigh? And so I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so I had to raise all this money to be able to do this. And so I did like fundraising and um, worked really hard and found sponsors and everything. And then, yeah, a month later I was over in Whistler and went down on my first bobsleigh ride.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, good on you for not giving up on the dream when you're injured. There's so many people and I was probably one of them that when you know when I got injured I was kind of like oh like maybe this isn't my sport and I didn't really look into another one I probably pinched hold myself into the one sport and went into coaching so I still stayed involved but uh, took a step back from the athletic lifestyle but good on you for like finding another sport and it's cool that 400 meter hurdles transfers over to bobsled because in my head I'm like they're so (laughs) different
1: (laughs) Yeah, but in hindsight, I think 400-meter hurdles was the wrong event for me. Like, If you look at my body type, if you look at the kind of athlete, especially I am now, I just didn't train very well as a track and field athlete. I think if I had the knowledge that I have now and then also the coaching that I have now, I think I would have been able to be a much better 100-meter runner, 200-meter runner. Um, I actually really enjoyed doing one fifties, one hundred fifties. They were the best of uh, best training sessions, and so I think I could have been quite a good two hundred meter runner. Um, but you know that you live and you learn, and I think now, bobsleigh is a perfect sport for me. It's perfect combination of power and speed, um, and I have a, I have a lot of power, and I've developed my speed over the over the years, and that's what's made me quite like quite a good pusher. And um, the challenges that bobsleigh has with learning how to drive on different tracks provides me like the excitement and motivation um, that I loved about what I loved about hurdles because hurdles, like you have to get your technique right and there's all these different kind of elements to it. Um, And so, yeah, everything that I loved about 400 metre hurdles, I've been able to love about um, bobsleigh now.
0: Oh, that's incredible. And I guess it flows onto my... My next question is, like, was there a specific moment you were like, okay, is my thing,
1: this is my sport? Yeah, yeah, it was – I don't think it was over – I don't think it was an exact moment. I think it was over time. It was over especially that first season. Like, the first season when I got introduced into the sport, I didn't really uh, – like, we didn't really compete. We didn't do a hell of a lot of sliding. It was just kind of getting to know the sport. Mm-hmm. Um and so but what I did see was my progression in the sport so when you first start on a new track you start lower down the track and you begin to like drive down the track and then when you learn that part of the track you move up a little bit higher and that's really motivating you know so you like begin down the bottom and then you get good at that and the coaches say yeah you can move up and so then you start to move up and then you're like oh I'm getting better and so then then you just start to see your progressions like physically see the progression of, um, your, your hard work. And, um, I just loved that. And then when I eventually got to the top of my first track and Whistler, I was like so excited because I was just like, wow, look how far I'd come. I started all the way down there and now I'm all the way up here. And I think That maybe could have been the moment. Like when I hit the top and I went down on my first run, that's when I could be like, yeah, I love this sport. I love what it's about. Um, And then I think it was just over the years of like exposing myself to different environments. So I like would start on Europa Cup and North American Cup, which is the lower tier race level. Um, And then when you do your first World Cup, which is the top tier Um, That's really exciting. So again, you physically see your progression in the sport. And I think you just get like, when you physically get to see your progression of your, all your hard work, that's really motivating and that's exciting. And you don't really, I guess you do get that in track and field. Um, But I guess it's, it's a little bit more visible in Bobsleigh for me anyways.
0: Yeah, I I like that. And it's really cool. Like, When you were saying you get to, you know, move further and progress further, like I've been a learn to swim teacher for 11, 12 years. And that's the thing, like when the kids are learning to swim, you know, they go from swimming three meters to five meters and you move the distance further back. And I was just thinking like how motivating that is hearing it from you. You get to move the track further and further until you, you know, you're not swimming, but you're going the whole run or the kids are swimming the whole lap. Like it's the same kind of principles.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think you do I, – I kind of would take back what I said. You do get that in track and field, like you, and, and sorry, in hurdles, because you progress the height, you progress the distance, mm-hmm. um, and you do get that. I don't know. I just think because I hit 400-metre hurdles at the top, at that senior level, so my height couldn't increase anymore. The distance obviously doesn't increase anymore. Um, you could, I could obviously progress to different races, But in Mm -hmm. bobsleigh also, you have all these different tracks and some tracks are known as being harder and some tracks are known as being easier. And when you're hitting the easier tracks and you're being successful, you're like, oh, this is awesome. But then you go to a harder track and you're very humbled. You're like, oh, that was a really (laughs) hard track. But then when you start to get better at those harder tracks, you're like, oh, I'm getting better, I'm getting better. And so there's a lot more... There's a lot of different elements to get better at in bobsleigh compared to 400 meter hurdles because 400 meter hurdles it's the same track, it's the same height of hurdles in the same distance.
0: Yeah, the variability of it is different. Like it's the same, whether it's the Sydney track or the one I don't even know what the Melbourne one is, the um, Lakeside Stadium one.
1: Yeah, it's they're they're all the same distance. It's 400 meter hurdles.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's not much difference. It's probably the weather that causes the biggest difference there. But uh, so in terms of your training, like, did that change significantly? Like, obviously, you've got doing the runs and progressing them. Did you train like, as a team? How did you get into this, like the monobob? How like, how did that happen?
1: So in the beginning, the training like obviously became quite different from 400 metre hurdles to bobsleigh because bobsleigh, we're only really training for the 30 metre push start and that Mm -hmm. like, that's all we're training all summer or Australian winter for is just this 30 metre push start. So obviously my training went, had to like the distances and the type of training had to change quite significantly. But why a lot of 400-meter uh, oh, – why a lot of track and field athletes transfer over to bobsleds, the training is quite similar. Um, mm. And so in the beginning, like, yes, my distances and the type of training did change, but I was used to that kind of training before. Like I'd done that kind of training before. I'd done short, sharp sprints. i have done plyometrics. And I'd done, like, a lot of weightlifting at that stage anyways. And so that was – like all very similar. But when I guess I kind of started getting more bobsleigh-specific training, that was about 2018, um, the training became quite different and Mm -hmm. I really started to specialise in the specific bobsleigh training. Um, Working on different – excel, like working on your acceleration angles um, became really like quite specific and you're looking for certain acceleration angles to be able to get as much force – I had to push the sled forward and then uh, yeah just different other elements became really quite specific and so yeah I, um, I think as I got better and better at the sport um, my training has changed quite a lot. In terms of Monobob, Monobob actually started in 2018. It was due to the women in the sport they wanted equal opportunity to be able to go for two medals at the Olympics. There was a lot of women that were fighting to compete in the four-man event, uh, which would have been awesome. Like I would have loved to be able to drive a four-man. But for Australians, it's already harder hard to get women into the sport or get people into the sport. So for me to be able to try and get not only a two-man team together but a four-man team together would have been so difficult. And besides, those sleds cost two times as much as a two-man sled. And so really, as much as it would have been awesome to be able to uh, compete in the four-man event, it wasn't realistic for Australia. But Monobob was. And Monobob was how um, I actually started the sport. And it usually was used as a training tool to be able to get people, um, to, so people could learn how to drive. And so people did think it was a regression in the sport and I could see why they think that, but also for us, it was perfect because in the beginning, um, the sleds were like provided and all the sleds were standardized. And so they were all exactly the same across the board. And so we didn't have any disadvantages from the lack of like high quality equipment. So really it was just the athlete that was being tested. And, which was awesome for us. And so the first ever Monobob competitions I went out and I was able to win. And that was an amazing moment for not just me, but for like my supporters and like the um, stakeholders that like had helped me get to that point. They were like, wow, we're actually supporting an athlete who can actually go on and be competitive uh, overseas against like these winter sport nations and mm-hmm. from that point on, I just like, again, I just was so motivated to keep pushing and pushing and pushing um, to be able to be competitive with the best in the world. It's funny you mentioned that because Australia
0: isn't the biggest known winter sport. I know I'm, I'm down in Melbourne, <laughs> which is, you know, arguably the coldest area. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but my knowledge on winter sports is so low because I guess we don't have a really big scene of it down here compared to other countries so how did you find the a training because you probably had to relocate and then be competing for that it was awesome that you can have a standardized machine and sled because it means Mm -hmm. that we're not at that disadvantage because we haven't put the funding into the research for the equipment
1: yeah 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 no it was it was really great that they were able to standardize the equipment because you do, you have some of these big nations that have so much money that can invest so much into the technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just puts us smaller nations at such a disadvantage. And uh, so I guess like for, for me, it was that was really motivating because it was just like, it's on you girl. Like you, you have to go out there and, and do everything that you possibly can to be able to win, win a medal. And, And so, yeah, I guess that's been really awesome because then we've been able to go and be successful and get more exposure and then people are excited to see like Australians being successful in winter sports. And there has been so much success in winter sports, especially over the last four years. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we had such a fantastic Olympics. And I think not that I knew much because I was off social media during the Olympics, But um, there was a lot of exposure around the Winter Olympics and the athletes and highlighting certain athletes who were successful. And and that's so great for for our sport and for our whole Winter Olympic Institute. And uh, I hope that it just continues over the next four years as we head to the next Winter Olympics, which is in Milana, Cortina in 2026.
0: I think it certainly will. And yeah, I totally agree. I was not off social media. I was watching the Winter Olympics. <laughs> and the coverage was a lot more than what I've seen in previous years. Um, mm. And I was able to, you know, see the backstories of some of the athletes and go, oh my gosh, like, wow, how incredible is this? And that, in saying that, like the coverage for Tokyo. Um, summer Olympics did step it up as well, but yep. it, I found it a little bit more equal compared to previous Olympic cycles.
1: Yeah. And I also think that because we don't have a massive team, you know, like, we're mm-hmm. like, uh, I think, what do we have like 40, 50 athletes? Like there wasn't that many. Um, mm-hmm. And so then that allows the, I guess, Channel 7 to do little spotlights on certain athletes and you get to know their background stories because there's a lot of time that they have to fill. And so mm-hmm. why not fill it with background stories of athletes and get to know the athletes and and find out their journey? Because then, like, you know, maybe there's a little girl, or little boy out there that's thinking the same things that I was when I transferred over to Bob's Lake and or like any other athlete that transferred over if they if they did and then it goes on and inspires other people to then um go off and chase their dreams and maybe in a different way than they thought and you don't know that unless you know the background stories all you can see is them standing at the end of the like on the podium or at the end of the competition and the, um, you say, oh, well done, that's amazing, but you don't know how that athlete got there. And so I think it's really important to be able to share um, share the journey with the people who follow you.
0: You've hit the nail right in the head there. That was, yes, exactly what I was thinking is being able to share the journey will inspire that next generation sitting there yeah. going, oh, this could be for me or like, oh, yeah, maybe this isn't the right sport for me. I didn't realise this other thing was a sport. How do I do that? And just like you did, do a quick Google and then it's on to the the next thing in their path.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm really about. Like I was always so inspired by athletes and their journeys and that's what fires me up. Like I watch mode- like I watch movies and I um I'm a big like I love documentaries and so I watch documentaries on athletes and all that kind of stuff and I just love hearing people's background stories and their journeys. And so I try and do that as much as possible on my social media platforms to be able to hopefully inspire somebody else to go out there and chase their dreams. Um, and that's I, I hope I do that. I hope I I, I, I um, am successful in doing that because that's what I'm trying to do, anyways. I'm certainly inspired right now, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and winter's coming up down here. So <laughs> yeah, who knows. <laughs> uh so can you tell us a little bit about the last winter olympics was a few months ago how you went because you competed in two events
1: yeah so i competed in the in the monobob and the two man And monobob i came fifth and the two man i came 16th
0: fifth is incredible like I, (laughs) i hear that and i'm like for an australian to come fifth in the Winter Olympics is like, that's
1: a gold medal to me, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, I would have obviously loved the medal. um, And that's what we were going for. That was the big aim. But in the, like, I must admit, at the beginning of the Olympic cycle, I just wanted to make it to the Olympics, because I don't know whether you know, but for the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics in 2018, I actually missed out. Uh, Like we actually qualified through the international standards and we could have gone and competed because at that stage, um, Australia could have competed in a continental position. So um, the International Federation provided a quota position to a country from Africa and a country from, uh, uh, I guess, Australia or Oceania. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we could have, we could have competed, but our national federation didn't, uh, nominate us to go and compete, which was really disappointing. They said that we, um, we weren't really ready and we didn't hit some of their in-house standards to be able to go and compete. So that was really heartbreaking, but obviously I was extremely motivated to be able to like to make the next Olympics. That's all that I had on my mind was just making the Beijing, uh, Olympics, and so in the beginning, that was the goal. But then mm-hmm. as when Monobob got in, uh, got introduced into the um, Olympic cycle and then as the years progressed and I started hitting podiums more consistently, especially at that World Cup level, I was like, actually, I think I can do something special at these Olympics. And so it was kind of like two years out and I got a, a new head coach and he was like, you know what, like you could do something special at these Olympics if we like, play this game right and so that then became the new goal um so I guess once I got to the Winter Olympics and um I was competing in the Monobob event obviously going like getting a medal was the overarching the new overarching goal but I guess that hasn't been my goal from the beginning now now that is my new goal like that Mm -hmm. that's what I'm going for for the for the next Winter Olympics um, is the medal. So now that's all I have in my foremind. is just going for those, going for medal at the next Winter Olympics. And even like a world championship medal, you know, like that is also, I guess, a stepping stone. Like, I guess mm-hmm. you have to do some stepping stones in order to be able to reach um, your, your big goal. And so I, I'm currently doing that. I'm currently setting my goals and setting my stepping stones in order to be able to achieve those goals. And that's a really exciting process. It's, it's exhausting. <laughs> like it actually, <laughs> to write some goals down and, you know, think about what you want to do over the next four years can be quite exhausting and confronting, but it's a really important part of the process because I guess on the days when you're unmotivated and you're, you know, you're tired and you're sore, if you think of those goals, if you think of um, like why, you, your why, then mm-hmm. that's what gets you up out of bed and gets you to the track or gets you to the gym and, um, and keeps you working hard.
0: Yes, and that goes for every single sport out there. And it's cool yes, that you've certainly. broken it down into the stepping stones because – it's daunting going, I want a podium finish at the next Olympics or world champs. Mm-hmm. But then if you go, okay, so how am I going to do that? And you break it down, then you know, okay, well, for the week, I need to hit this many training sessions and I need to get this many hours of sleep and I need to do this many recovery sessions.
1: Yes, And it becomes yeah. a little bit easier. Yeah, definitely. and And it's really important to reflect on what you did last time. And so it's like, okay, well, last time, like for me, for example, I was always really working hard on, um, like, on the season plan, and um, because a lot of the stuff that I like, we had to organize. I had to do that myself. I had a, oh, I had a coach helping me out, but it, uh, still, I had to help organise logistics and funding and all that kind of stuff. I didn't have like a big lot of funding or an institute that was supporting me with so much money. I had to go out and source out sponsors and think of clever ways and how to get what I needed in order to be able to compete at a high level. Um, And so I'd forget to eat. Because I was just always, I was sitting at my computer, just like working, working, working. And I was like, right, you weren't fueling yourself correctly. Next time around, you need to fuel yourself correctly. So I've been working really hard with my dietitian in order to be able to create plans and um, make things a lot easier. So like I've even got shopping lists that are connected to like meal plans that I mm-hmm. don't even need to think about like what I need to buy. It's It's right there. Um, and it just makes things a lot easier. And so that's just one example of uh, how reflecting on what I did last time is going to hopefully be able to help me, um, in the future.
0: Yeah. And I like that you've taken it in such a positive way. It's like, oh, I didn't fail or something. It's, I'm going to build on what I had last time. That's my base level. And we're going to improve, like the results mm-hmm. going to improve because I'm going to improve my processes
1: yeah definitely and like maybe like some kind of improvements don't necessarily um help like help your results but at least you've tried at least you've reflected on maybe something that you thought wasn't good and then you're like okay well maybe i like if i just make this small change maybe it will improve um the result next time if it doesn't okay that's fine reflect and go again Um, It's, it's all just, it's not about making mistakes. It's just about, um, you know, just constant reflection and um, constant improvements.
0: Yeah. And making the journey enjoyable and sustainable.
1: Yep, definitely. And it's, I'm all about enjoying the journey. If I'm not enjoying the journey, then you you can forget it. My results are bad. Um, I'm, I'm a miserable person. I'm grumpy to be around. (laughs) So um, there's been times like even last season, there was, it was some really hard times that I wasn't really um, enjoying the journey. And I just would sit down with my team and I'm like, look here, I'm, I'm not enjoying this. Like at the moment, this is really hard work. What can we do to make this more enjoyable? And you, but if you don't express that, then mm-hmm. nobody knows, and nobody can make a change, and nobody can help you. Um, and that's one promise that I'm trying to keep to myself: is being more honest with myself, and then also the, my, the people who help me, and in saying that, look, guys, like this isn't this isn't working right now. What can we do to change to make this you know you know more enjoyable? Because my results aren't going to matter if I if I'm not enjoying this.
0: Yeah, and that takes a bit of courage to do that like it's not an easy thing to one be honest with yourself when you're so passionate and determined for you know not even the results but like you've got that that goal but then to the say and vocalize it to others and go okay like I'm not happy we need to change something up so that we can get to where we need to be
1: and i think that's really important why you need to have your people around you like the people that you trust because if you don't trust your team and you don't trust your people, then you can't express yourself in those hard times. Mm. And so it's really important that you first have your support network and, um, make sure that they're people that you trust and then, you know, be brave enough to vocalize if you're not doing okay. Okay. Um, or be brave enough to vocalize if somebody isn't doing something that is good, you know, that's mm-hmm. also something that's hard because they may not know, but if you haven't vocalized it then it's not their fault. So yeah, that's, that's like really important is to have your solid network around you. <sighs>
0: I love that so much. (laughs) I think you have just said everything perfectly for that. That is incredible. I want to ask if you could go back and relive a moment. Now it doesn't have to be positive. It doesn't have to be negative. It's whatever moment in your sporting journey, what would it be and why? Oh. It's a hard one.
1: (laughs) Wow. It's really hard. I'm trying to think. Like there's been so many good moments that I would love to go and relive, but I don't mm-hmm. think you get the same high that you got. For example, one one thing that I really love is when we are successful in the two man, because the two man is a lot harder than the monobob because it does we don't have that standardized equipment, and also it, it it's quite difficult competing with those bigger nations that have these big programs that has that have like the abundance of athletes coming through and and um the the coaches and everything like that and so there's a lot more elements to it that you need to bring together to be able to be successful so one um moment that I really did love was when um last season me and um, my teammate Kiara, we were in Winterberg, and um, we actually came seventh in that event, and that was my career best finish. And I, I messed up slightly in the first run, but we started at the back of the pack. And if you start at the back and pack, you have all these sleds that are coming down the track, and um, it makes the track a little bit slower. So we've mm-hmm. cut, we've started in twenty first, and then we ended up coming eleventh. And I was like oh that's that's not so bad like I I know I messed up like one corner that probably cost us a lot of time but coming 11th is not so bad and then the next run we had the fourth fastest run and we went from 11th and we like kept making our way down all the way down to seventh and that was just such a rush it was so exciting because I was just like oh my god like we are just pipping off these girls you know and mm-hmm. that was a really cool moment and it just really made because our two men wasn't doing so well last season and so that was just such a an exciting moment and I it just really it's a moment that I keep in my mind because I'm like we can be successful in the two men as well we just need to bring all the elements together and like Kiara and I did that day and it was really quite exciting and so I think that is a pretty cool moment in saying that like I said I don't think it would have the same excitement I don't Mm -hmm. think it I don't think it would okay there's one moment that I really would love to go back and relive and it was actually when I competed in my first uh, nationals in 400 meter hurdles Mm-hmm. and i made the final and so it was my first open um nationals and it was so i was i think i was like i was 20 and so it was so exciting that i had done this and i was ready and i was like feeling really good in the warm up i was re- remembered i was like i was mentally ready physically ready i was ready to go and i had run the race of my life i was absolutely storming at home and I had was getting to the last hurdle, so the tenth hurdle, and I remember looking out to my right hand side, and I saw that I was in third position, but I saw that there was a girl about to hurt, about to go over the hurdle the same time as me, and we would have been battling it out for third up to the finish line. And because I took my focus off for a split second, I had tripped at the last hurdle, and I hit the ground. And that is something that I just learned so much of that you have to just remain focused until the finish line, a hundred percent focus on your race until the, until the finish line. Because if you take your focus off for a split second, you can, you can hit a hurdle and you're done, you know, and that would have been such a, like a huge thing for me to be able to come uh, like third or even second. Cause I wasn't that far away from second um at my first nationals but yeah I took my focus off for a split second and uh, and that was the race over and I I always remember that and even in bobsleigh now like if I take my focus off for a split second I'm like you you should have known better you know better (laughs) um (laughs) so that's a moment I wish I could go and relive but again would have I would I have learned that lesson I don't know so yeah.
0: Yes. And I was going to say, it's a hard lesson to learn, but it doesn't sound like it's harmed you in any way.
1: Yeah. Like you you learn from those lessons, you learn from those moments and don't get me wrong. Like I, I am hard on myself when I make a mistake, but I am learning to more make them like, a, like a learning yep. moment rather than, you know, a critical moment.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly, I guess, what the next sections are about in this podcast. So The next question is what benefit has sport that you've learned as athlete Brie transferred over to everyday Brie? So like how has it transferred
1: over? I think my persistence to keep going when things get hard is what's benefited me like as an athlete and then also as an everyday person. You know, there's things that come up that are really hard and you're like, I don't see a way through here and I think that with sport for example I've just always Mm -hmm. kept going I'm like look at the moment I don't see a way through here it's kind of like you're in a tunnel and it's completely dark you're like I can't see a thing here but I'm just going to keep going and then all of a sudden like a light comes on you're like (laughs) oh thank god I can see here and it's it's still dark you know it's still really dark But then you just keep going and then, oh, another light comes on and then you just keep going and then all of a sudden you get there's light at the end of the tunnel and you're through that dark time. And I think that also has helped me in real life. Like there's times that I guess, look, I'm not going to say my life is really quite balanced because at the moment my I I am an athlete, like I'm a full-time athlete. That's all I do. It's my work, it's my hobby, it's everything. But there is times when, like, you know, you're trying to figure out, like, just something in your everyday life. I don't know. Putting, okay, for example, we're kind of, like, restructuring our apartment and, like, putting together new furniture. And you're like, I can't figure this (laughs) out.
0: Flat pack (laughs) furniture.
1: (laughs) Like, this is so annoying. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Ikea furniture, it does your head in. But like you're sitting there, you're like, I can't figure this out. Like I but then you sit there and you're like, hang on a second, no, let's let's like rewind here and look at the instructions again, mm-hmm. look at what you're doing again. And then you just keep going and you keep going. And I don't think I would have had that persistence if I if I hadn't had those experiences as an athlete.
0: Mm, yes. And there's a lot of people who do give up on Ikea furniture and flat pack furniture. <laughs> uh, they don't quite have the patience for it. I know I build it myself out of me and my partner. He just kind of like was like, oh yeah, I'll help. I'll help in a minute. I'll help when I finish my, my smoothie or whatever. And I'm like, okay whatever and I'm like sitting there with instructions up at my face going how do I put this thing together
1: yeah yeah and I tell you what relationships have been tested over IKEA furniture I guarantee you (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a testing one isn't it yeah yeah I oh yeah that's that's Before you move in with each other, just like make some furniture together and see if you get through that. And if you get through that, then you can move in together.
0: (laughs) There's some good life advice. I love it. (laughs) Well, other than the incredible IKEA furniture advice, is there a lesson that you've learned
1: along the way that you want to share? Uh, I've been asked this question actually uh, a little bit uh, recently. And it was advice that my dad got from a mate of his and he was an athlete. He, I cannot remember his name. Dad tells me all the time, but he was a race walker. He competed at Olympics and he did. And he said to dad, when I was quite young, just make sure that she keeps going in sport." There's, you're always going to get to an age where, you know, other things mm-hmm. become priority. Like your social life becomes a priority, work becomes a priority, school becomes a priority and, you know, sport can sometimes get put on the back foot, um, but just keep going in it. It can, you know, your priorities can um, move up and down, uh, but just keep going in your sport. And I always kind of remembered that especially because he was like, look, I wasn't the best um, athlete when I was growing up, but I just kept going and kept going and kept going and then all of a sudden he was able to go and achieve his big goal of um, representing Australia at the Olympics. And as I was growing up, I wasn't the best athlete out there. Like I wasn't, you know – Always coming first at things like in little athletics, I was like I was doing quite well, but you would then go to regionals and states, and you and you weren't real. I wasn't really hitting podiums, and so I was like, okay, look, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm just going to keep going. Then all of a sudden, I hit year twelve, and I could see all my friends dropping out of sport because education became a big priority. And then they finish uh, like high school and then they just couldn't get back into sport. Mm -hmm. And it's a really hard time too, because especially with women, they're going through puberty and changes in their body. And if you stop sport, then those things kind of take over. And it's really hard for um, women to get back into the sport. But I just kept going. I just like, you know, it was my little, it was my outlet during that time. And then I was I could see that my friends wanted to get back in, but back into the sport, but they just couldn't Mm. and they physically couldn't mentally, they couldn't. And all of a sudden they were, you know, going to university, doing full-time jobs and, and they were very talented athletes that just, you know, didn't, weren't able to go on and um, be even more successful than they were and but I did I continued and then all of a sudden I'd get a, a full scholarship over to the US and then go on and compete for Australia and bobsleigh and the, the rest is history you know and it's just because I kept going mm-hmm. and so I think that's the biggest advice that I can um share is just always keep going your priorities can change that's fine but just Keep going if your goal is to be able to, you know, reach the top level in your sport.
0: Mm, I love that. And it's, it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be that top priority. So like, while you're going through those years of high school, instead of training, I don't know, eight times a week, I know in year 12, I got to April and I had to drop down, but I kept swimming. And I think that is the reason why I was able to swim in my twenties because, I kept going like I didn't give it up completely I certainly changed my priorities but I was still involved I was still rocking up to training a couple times a week my times didn't really drop that much if we think about like some of it and then all of a sudden I was beating the girls that were beating me two years ago and they had stopped and tried to come back and I look at that and like well it's similar to you like the sport lost talented
1: athletes because they stopped And especially because if they stop, like, they're very talented athletes and then they stop and then they come back and they're not as good Mm -hmm. as when they, like, when they finished or when they they took a break. And then that's really unmotivating for them. Like, they can't, like, get back in. They see no light Mm -hmm. through the tunnel and then they just, you know, they're like, okay, I'm done here. Like, that was me. Like, you know, I was the... junior star Mm -hmm. um, and that's me done and that's really sad because there's so many athletes that yeah they're junior stars Brooke Stratton is a really good example she was a junior star and she just kept going all the way through and now she's like successful and she's honestly one of the only junior stars in track and field during my time that I can remember that has gone on to be successful there's so many other junior stars but where did they go? They all disappeared because they they stopped during, you know, their later teen years to for educational for whatever reasons.
0: Yeah, and it's just keep going. Like I know getting those results and we speak about it as an adult, like you get as a junior star, the results come really easy. We used to call it like instant coffee results. Every time you competed, you'd get better. <laughs> Um, I had a coach that told me that like you just have to swim and you'll get an an instant PB. And I was like, Oh, great. (laughs) But then as you get older, that, the distance between PBs, they come longer and longer. And to be able to keep going through that, just like you said, just keep going. It could be years between PBs. But if you keep going, you can still achieve the results.
1: Yep, definitely. And you're always going to have plateaus in your career. And, and But then that's a time to reflect. That's a time for you and your coach and your team to reflect on, okay, we're plateauing here. Do we need to just like push through this to be able to hit the next level? Or do we need to make some sort of change? and then that's why it's Mm -hmm. important to have a good coach on your side that has so much knowledge on you as an athlete but also on training and they can make that call for you and that's sometimes easier as an athlete if you have a coach that is good enough to be able to make those calls because then all you have to do is just be like okay I trust you off you go and that's all about (laughs) that's what trusting the process is all about
0: oh that's an incredible lesson I really really like that and it's the same for anything. Like if you just keep going, even in life, just keep going, get, keep trying, you're going to get there mm. eventually. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And so, and but you have to figure it figure it out. Like you can't, there's sometimes, you know, if you're walking along a path, but the, the path is rocky and it's bumpy and it has roadblocks here mm. and there. Um, you're like, this is a shit path to walk along. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's maybe change paths. We can maybe still get to the same destination. It might take a little bit longer, but like, let's mm-hmm. figure out a different way to be able to get there. And so then it's just about being, having your mind really wide open to um, the different possibilities of how to get to your destination. And that's really important. And I think that's where sometimes athletes get really stuck in their certain ways, you know, and they're hitting their head against the wall trying the same things again and again and again. I'm like, nah, just maybe, like, reflect and see if there's a better way to do this.
0: Yeah, take a step back, and you can see that if you take ten steps to the left, then
1: there's no wall yeah, over there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like if you're if you've got blinkers on and you're only looking at one in one direction, then you're not going to be able to see the other paths that are around you that are all leading to the same destination. And like I said, like there may be different roadblocks on those paths, or it may take a little bit longer. But at the end of the day, you're you're going to get there at the end. So have your uh, have eyes wide mm-hmm. open and have an open mindset. Um, to different possibilities and you'll get there in the end oh that's so good
0: now have you been involved in a project or an event where sport has been used as a tool to develop the community because we know that it can develop the person we've just spoken about all those amazing things but to develop the community oh, I
1: don't really know I'm trying to think honestly I like was involved in a really good track and field club uh Doncaster um senior mm-hmm. athletics club That was such a good club when I was there. It's still a great club, but I'm obviously not involved in it anymore. But the time that I was there, I came into the club and I was welcomed with open arms. I didn't know anybody there. I also lived half an hour away and a lot of the people lived around that same area and they went to school there and stuff. And so often it's quite difficult to be able to get into a club where you, you know, you, don't, you didn't grow up with these people and um, you had different connections mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. But this club was amazing. And um, they o- welcomed me with open arms and then we started doing social things together and they became like my core group of friends during that time. Um, and that, that was just such an amazing experience because, it was like we would go to training on the weekend and even my friends in high school, like, you know, we, they would want to go out the night like on a Saturday night or something. And uh, I I wouldn't be drinking or anything. And they're like, why wouldn't you be, like, why aren't you drinking? I'm like, Oh, because I got training in the morning. Um, And they're like, what do you mean? Like just Mm -hmm. come out come have fun. I'll come and have fun, but I'm not drinking because I got training. And so I'd go to training the next day and I just loved it so much. And my high school friends would question me. They're like, why do you love getting up on a Sunday morning to go train? Like, are you crazy? And I'm like, no, because I have this awesome community that I meet with every single Sunday. And then we go out and we do stuff after training and like, we go to breakfast and, um, or we go and hang out at somebody's pool if it's stinking hot and, that was just such a, an, an amazing community and it really was centred around um, our coach at the time, Tom Kelly. He was like a really like influential person and he sadly passed away the in like back a few years ago, it was before I went to college, so it was back in 2013, but Tom just made this like big community and it was just like such an amazing experience for all of us to be involved with. And if I do bump into these guys again, uh, like we always just talk about the good old days, you know, and that was just, uh, Mm -hmm. I just think that that's so rare to have like such a group of people that it's not only just your training partners, but, they are like your core friends and we all still keep in touch and uh which is really fun and so I think that's probably the only thing that I've kind of been involved with that's like also been about the community
0: and it's really special because that happens in sporting clubs around the country around the world in different sports like I know I have a core group of friends that You know, I swam at my first swimming club with, and the same as you, the coach was a big part of that. And we've kind of kept it going, if that makes sense. Like we still catch up, I don't know, a couple times a year,
1: and it's ten years since we stopped swimming together. It's nearly ten ten years for me too now. If I think about it, you know, like it's it's been such a long time that I haven't seen these guys. But if you if I do see them or I do chat with them online, it's like I saw them yesterday, and that's so special.
0: Yeah. And it's that, I think, I don't know, like I haven't been involved in music or I guess like anything else, but I think sport puts you in a very vulnerable position that you do make those bonds and you do have that sense of needing, like you said before, needing people around you that understand what you're saying, but also like going through it as well. So though I find the connections that you make are so much deeper than just your everyday connections that you'd make in a in a cruisy, I don't know workplace or something.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I also think like you go through hard times together, like not just like you know dark hard times, like you're getting all mental and emotional, mm-hmm. but like you were grinding it out with these guys and there was there's one time that I think this like is a perfect example of like the community that we had I would often go and train with the boys like I that fires me up to like to go and train with the boys and and Tommy my coach he said you like today you're running with the boys and I'm like but all the girls are here, like, oh, oh train with the girls. They're like, no, 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 you, we want to hit these times, and like, you need to run with the boys to be able to do that. Uh, okay, fine. And I can't remember the session. I think it might have been like 300, 320, 340, 360, 380, 400. Like, mm-hmm. I think it was something stupid like that. Um. And so we started, and I we got to, I think it was about, 380 or 3 I think we would have been 380 and I can like I'm about to faint like I'm seriously like head is spinning mouth is dry I'm like I can't do this I, I don't think I can like go again with these boys and I actually like sat stood there for a second I'm like I'm gonna faint here and one of the boys has picked me up by the back of my crop top and has dragged me to the line. And he's like, Come on, like, you're here. Like, let's go.
0: Last and I, one.
1: Like, I can't see men. And I, and I was like, I can't see. And then Thomas counted down like three, two, one. And all of a sudden we're taken off. And I can physically, like, I can see again, and everything is fine, you know? And, but like, I wouldn't have gone to the line if it wasn't for those boys that just like had got around me and like was encouraging me. And that session, I really felt like they were doing it for themselves. Yes. But they were also doing it for me. Like they knew how much of a grind session that was for me. Um, And that was just such a special moment. And you need those training partners during those sessions. And like, I can remember at the end, we were all on the grass, just completely dead out. But like that It was just, we just all felt like we achieved so much that day. And it was a session that I'll never forget.
0: Mm, That social aspect of individual sports, like people who don't do an individual sport will be like, oh, you know, you're just out there by yourself, but you're really not. Like those training partners are the difference between you showing up and you not really for that last rep.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I was excited to go to training on a Sunday morning after a (laughs) night, like after I'd go out with my friends because of the social aspect of that club, you know. And yeah. So <laughs> that pretty much tells you like how important like that part of sport can be, have or how much of an influence that part of sport can have.
0: Yeah, and I don't see that changing, which brings me to the very, very last question. Uh, where do you see the future of sport? So it can be your sport or sport in general?
1: I think it's really great how we're getting more grassroots sport happening in Australia like I think there's always been like lots of grassroots for um you know football and and stuff for boys but I'm talking more specifically girls um there's and I don't know whether it's always been there but there seems to be more exposure for it and I, I say this because I'm. I talk to my friends now who have like little kids or little nieces and nephews, and they're like, "Oh yeah, they're like going to you know Oz on the weekend." I'm like, "Oh, like this is so cute!" Like, and I, I know Oz has been around for ages, but like, there's more girls going there, and that's really like that's adorable. Uh-huh. And like cricket and everything like that. There's there just seems to be more exposure around grassroots sports for. Younger younger kids and and especially like little girls. I think that's really cool. For my sport specifically, I think there's heaps more opportunities for winter sports, which is really exciting. Like we're getting heaps more facilities, uh, including there's a ski jump um, facility in in Brisbane that's making it like. Way more accessible for um, aerial athletes and for moguls athletes to train in Australia, which is fantastic. There's a bigger uh, uh, airbag uh, jump in Ginderbine, which is so all the snowboarders can go and practice their jumps there. that's really cool. And then there's even like whispers of a push track being made in uh, in Queensland also. And so that's just making it winter sports, winter sport training facilities, heaps more accessible for athletes, which is then going to allow people to be like, oh, maybe I will we'll go and try that sport out there. And, um, and so I just think there's way more exposure for a um, sport um, across media platforms um, and whether like, you know, people are just thinking oh maybe I'll put my kid in that now and I just think that's really cool
0: yeah and I think having the facilities in Australia especially for winter sport is going to mean that I don't know how many percent kind of drop out from that potential elite level because they can't afford to go overseas or they don't want to move away from their yeah. family and you think about the talent yeah. pool that we'd lose there like we We've done amazing in the, you know, yeah. in the recent years at bringing the exposure up. And now that we've done that and we're getting facilities in Australia, like, imagine the depth of the talent field in 20 years' time. Like, if I, I can only see it growing. Yeah,
1: yeah, certainly. Definitely. And and that is a big thing. Like, you're, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Like, for me to try and convince athletes to come over and give Bobsleigh a go, they're like... Uh, I don't know because, like, it's a long time away from home and it's a lot of money and all that kind of stuff. But getting more support allows people to, like, you know, not have to pay so much out of their pocket, huge advantage. And then also, like, for example, if there's going to be a push track being built, I can take that athlete to the push track and be like, hey, go go push a sled. And honestly, that's some of the best training, you know. Like, I, that's, like – the best training in the summer for me is push training. Mm-hmm. And um, if an athlete gets fired up from push training, I know that they're probably going to be like, they'll like probably go and like the sport. And then also I can see if they're actually suited for the sport. If they're not so good at pushing on the push track, well then I'm not going to try and convince them to come over to Europe to, um, you know, spend the heaps of time away from home. If Like I know that they're probably not going to be good good at it anyway. So Um, it's just all advantages is having so like many good world-class facilities in Australia it's great
0: it's very very exciting and Brie thank you so much for coming on and just telling your story and inspiring I'm sure there's going to be a lot of kids now out there going oh maybe winter sport is for me um, especially coming from an athletics background like I love it so thank you so much
1: no problem thanks for having me on (laughs)
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.